to you guys in terms of of of, of an interesting uh, regulatory issue that's going on that you may want to pay pay attention to is uh, Facebook. Um, I've talked to you guys about Facebook stock, and I mentioned to you that uh, Facebook is a company that I would I would actually invest in uh, for a few different reasons. We talked about this last week in class. Uh, but basically, Facebook is under a tremendous amount of fire. I mean, it's it's really crazy uh, because you know basically um, they they're just they're just there's one hit piece after another, right? Right now, Mark Zuckerberg is uh, he's literally public enemy number one, and it's uh, it's it's getting to be crazy. And uh, I just saw an article today about a uh, face another Facebook whistleblower who almost seems ready to kind of take things to the next level. Um, there's a lady, <clears throat> uh, let's see, what's her name? Her name is, doo, 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 doo. Uh, her name is, is in front of me, Sophie Zhang. So Sophie Zhang is, um, uh, says she's willing to testify in front of Congress. Uh, she said she'd share documentation about, quote, potential criminal violations with, with U.S. law enforcement. Uh, she also publicly criticized Facebook in a 7,800-word memo after she was fired in 2020. So basically what it says here is that um, she's now taking things to a different space because you have the previous whistleblower who's testifying before Congress and saying that the company did things that were unethical, um, that, you know, then there are studies on this. This is not new information, but uh, she says that Facebook knew that, that, you know, that that Instagram was hurting young girls in terms of body image and stuff like that because you got all these women sort of posting, and men too, posting on Instagram and posting their bodies and then people start questioning themselves and feeling like I'm not doing as well as I should be. Um, social media, I think we we figured out, uh, and my wife is a therapist, so maybe we're, maybe we're slightly ahead on the curve on, on some of this because she studies this kind of thing. Social media is not good for your mental health. Uh, and, uh, and a few uh, reasons I'll lay out is one, uh, we talk about young girls and body image, but it's not just true for young girls. It's really true for everybody. Uh, there are a lot of you who probably at some point have looked at Instagram or Facebook and it just felt like everybody was living their best life except for you. Uh, maybe they were having kids and you wish you could have kids. Maybe they had a nice new car and you wish you could get a new car too. I encourage you to be very conscious and deliberate and intentional about blocking that from your, your consciousness. Uh, you know, if, if something's bothering you, if you're jealous of somebody on Facebook, then unfollow them. Just don't, you know, and uh, don't don't even look at their content at all if that bothers you. Um, the other thing about social media is that it's designed to be addictive. At some point, they're going to look at social media as another drug. They're going to put it right there in with gambling addiction, um, heroin addiction, things like that. Two areas that are not heavily regulated yet that probably will be at some point are social media use and video games. China is ahead of the curve. China's already doing it. China's already regulating both of those things because what happens is that when you look and you um, study how you know the Facebook guys or other social media platforms build their platforms, they literally lean on theories that come right out of addiction. Did you know this? Like they literally look up like, okay, how do you get somebody addicted to your product? How do you get people addicted to your platform? How do you get people addicted to whatever, right? And uh, so they study, they, they think about things like Pavlo's dog. If you remember Pavlo's dog, was a guy, uh, or there was a study about a guy who had a dog and he trained the dog where first he would, he would keep feeding the dog food every time the bell rang. And then he took the food away and the dog, would, when he heard the bell, he would salivate because he was anticipating food. The dopamine rush was coming from the, the anticipation of food. So with gamblers, it's the same thing. It's uh, when they go to a casino and they hear the, the ding, 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 or whatever, you, you know, casinos are set up to make you into Pavlo's dog, right? Well, social media is designed to be similar to those casinos. Uh, uh, Robinhood has been accused 
of facilitating various forms of addiction because they took stock market investing and they gamified it. They made it into this thing where when you invest, all, all the confetti comes down and you and you're like they're like, ah, hooray, congratulations, woo, right? Well, they're doing that deliberately. They do that deliberately because they know that when you um, see all that, you feel good. You get that dopamine rush. So that makes you want to come back, right? It's no different from the reason why you can probably think of a time when you had sex with somebody and you were like, that was pretty cool. I think I want to come back for more of that, right? It's the same idea. It's all connected, right? It's all connected. Or when you eat your favorite food and then you get excited when you eat your favorite food or music, when you hear your favorite song, you know, you got some songs like, anybody ever noticed? How uh, remember that song um, "Back That Thing Up" by Juvenile? Anybody uh, notice how people react like Pavlo's dog when that first part comes on in the beginning? Doom, doom, doom. What happens when when you when you in the in a, in a club or at a, at a house party or at a wedding and they start hearing that first part of that song? Doom, doom, doom. What happens? What happens? People run. They stand up. And they run to the dance floor because they're like, "Oh, it's about to go down now," and that's the dopamine rush that comes from a Pavlovian, they call it a Pavlovian response to this external stimuli. The music is literally activating the part of your brain that says, oh, we about to back that thing up. Right? You, 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 you're used to that, right? So Facebook taps into all of that. Facebook does all of that. And, and there are people, the one thing that really got my attention, this is interesting. I'd like to see what um, the experts are doing. I like to watch what the insiders are doing. This is actually a style of investing. There are literally people who invest based on what the insiders do. When the insiders buy, they buy. When the insiders sell, they sell. That makes sense, right? Because you're you're looking at people who know more than you, and you're follow. You're like, look, I don't want what I don't want what you tell me I should want. I want what you want. What are you gonna eat? What are you gonna do next? Because I'm gonna follow you, right? Oh, you you telling me to get the jab? Okay. Well, did you get the jab? Did you, wait, wait, you're on the board of Merck and you didn't get the jab? Right, wait, wait, you mean Biden, you're, you're telling me that we have to get it, but your staff doesn't have to get it. That makes people naturally suspicious, right? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying it's true, right? Well, you know, the same, so so with, with Facebook, um, one thing I noticed was I watched this documentary where they talked about um, how addictive Facebook is. It was a great Netflix special. I forgot what it was called. And they were talking, there was a bunch of executives and insiders at Facebook and Twitter and all these social media platforms. And they were talking about how addictive it is, how it's really addictive for children. I mean, it's literally like you're giving your children alcohol and drugs. Like they, these poor kids are going to be crazy when they get older. Um, and, uh, and one thing that they all said that was really interesting was they all said, all these insiders said, we limit the amount of time our kids spend on social media. They said, we do not want our kids exposed to this. And what are they doing? But well, they're doing what Ice Cube used to say in his song, Dope Man. To be a dope man, boy, you must qualify. What, what am I going to say next? Don't get high on your own supply, right? So Facebook, the insiders, they don't get high on their own supply. Uh, that's for you. That's not for them, right? They want you to take it in and they want you to be obsessed with social media, but they're obsessed with making money. And that is so, so they're affected by another addiction. So so Facebook's addiction is more of a financial addiction. Uh, their financial addiction is what's probably going to get them in trouble. And, and I'm really interested to see how this um, these accusations from so Sophie Zhang will go because she was an insider. She had access to lots of data and she's claiming it seemed to me in the argument that uh, Mark Zuckerberg 
basically collaborated with a lot of um, authoritarian regimes around the world to uh, do things that were terrible and harmful to the people in those countries. And, and I think that's a really tough and highly ambiguous uh, argument because, you know, if you're operating as, as a company that's as big and as vast as Facebook, you're gonna run into different cultures. You're gonna run into different governments, and and uh, and, and and you can't necessarily acquiesce to any particular one. So one uh, one guy who used to uh, uh, look at content, I guess he was a content moderator at Facebook, and he said he was disgusted because every year the Chinese or there's a, Ch- a region of China where they have a dog festival where they cut up dogs and eat them because they think that they're like dogs or animals, just like chick, pigs, chickens and pigs. And he said we had to allow these videos on the platform of these dogs being eaten up. And that offends me because I'm a dog lover. Right. And, uh, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of tough, right? Because the Chinese, they're not, they're not like we are, you know, they're not, they, first of all, they're not very spiritual. That's why things like cloning and what was it cloning and, or, or, or even things like maybe abortion or, or what, what was it where they um, do something with the fetal tissue and they're able to do, I forgot what it is. Um, stem cells, stem cell research, stem cells, that stuff don't matter. <laughs> like, what, are you, what are you talking about? Like we have a whole paradigm, a whole different paradigm on what happens when you die and what a spirit is and what a human life is, you know? So the things that bother us don't bother them. Right. And so Facebook, I think facing that dilemma kind of said, look, in order for us to maximize the amount of money we, we make, we just got to kind of let people do what they're going to do. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that was the approach. So what, what's happening now is you're starting to see, uh, most of the accusations mostly coming from Americans, right? Saying that you did this thing in this other country that violates my principles as an American. And uh, and she even claims that it's criminal in nature. So I'm wondering if it's sort of like maybe this idea that Zuckerberg allowed some authoritarian regime to do something on social media that led to people being killed, which would inadvertently and indirectly, in her view, make Mark Zuckerberg responsible for some kind of war crime, right? But But either way, though, um, I'm almost thinking that Zuckerberg, in my view, uh, the big mistake, I don't want to call it a mistake, but the thing I observed, and I noticed this 10 years ago, actually, was that uh, when Facebook became a publicly traded company, they changed the way they did business. Um, they really left the, the, the principal idea of simply trying to do what's better for the world. And they did what was best for shareholders. And that is one of the inherent contradic- contradictions of capitalism. Uh, you, you have to maximize shareholder wealth. And uh, there's limitations to that. That's one of the reasons why I reiterate to you 10 million times. Uh, I don't care if you go anywhere, anywhere online or anywhere in the real world. And somebody says, Dr. Boyce is teaching black capitalism. I want you to correct them and say that he's not a capitalist. I'm not a pure capitalist because I don't believe that pure capitalism is a healthy thing. And Facebook is a, is a shining example of that because I think that the company could have made hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars and, and, and not gone as far as they've gone like they, they they've trampled on so many people's rights they've harmed so many people throughout the world despite the fact that they've done some good um, i told you the story about how i found my long lost son on facebook he wasn't my biological son but i raised him i knew him when he was a baby and i raised him until he was five and i hadn't seen him for over 10 or 15 years because you know things happen in relationships and i found him on facebook i'll always be grateful uh to facebook for that right but then there's the darker side of of you know pe- great people like Riza Islam, who actually Riza is coming to the All Black National Convention, and I, I I welcome him with open arms because I I respect Riza tremendously as a great young black leader. But Riza Islam can't keep a Facebook page; They're, they block him every time they see him. Uh, Louis Farrakhan, a man I admire immensely, uh, can't get anything on Facebook. They they you mentioned his name; they block out his name. So so these technocrats have kind of an authoritarian regime that is on one hand 
very profitable. Uh, but on the other hand, it's going to eventually collapse because eventually uh, all the chickens are going to come home to roost. So Facebook has made enemies of both the Democrats and the Republicans. The Republicans are mad because of censorship. The Democrats are mostly angry due to wealth inequality. And then also they're, they're making the Democrats angry when, when all these other issues come up that, uh, that, that, that lead to these core violations of, of issues liberals believe in, you know, things like feminism or whatever the case may be, or LGBT or whatever, right? So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, if I were Zuckerberg, if I were Mark Zuckerberg, I would literally resign right now. Like I literally would just quit my, I would say, you know what? I've decided that it's time for me to move to a new chapter in my life. Uh, so I'm going to take my $200 billion and I'm going to bounce. I will still be on the board, but I am not running Facebook anymore. We got a fresh new face. Uh, she's going to be great. I, w- I would literally pick a woman to be honest with you. Um, and, uh, and then I would bounce out and go off into the sunset because I think at some point, He's going to come down and I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being jail because in China, they have a saying that says the fattest pig always gets slaughtered and you are hard pressed to find a fatter pig than Mark Zuckerberg, who is the face of a company that's worth um, almost a trillion dollars. So that's my two cents. That's what I believe. And that's what I think is going to happen. Now, let me um, move to your next question here. Uh, One of you submitted a question uh, today. And by the way, if you want to submit your question, just log in uh, for next week's class. Just log in at the blackstockmarketprogram.com. Leave your question for me. I will answer your questions first in class, uh, the blackstockmarketprogram.com. All right. So let's see here. Dr. Boyce, uh, in your investment class, well, let me mention the person's name. I'm sorry. Terrence. Terrence Williams says, Dr. Boyce, uh, in your uh, investment course, you mentioned flawed stock market models. Are there any models you agree with that do work as good guidance for investing and or stock market analysis? Uh, well, if you're talking about long-term wealth accumulation, the model honestly is not that complicated. Uh, it's you know it's what they it come it's based on what they call the efficient markets hypothesis, uh, which basically says that if you buy a wide basket of stocks, if you spread your money out, you don't put all your money in one place, and you hold those stocks for a long period of time, then you're probably going to make money. There's no time in the history of the world where a person, I don't care if you give me a four-year-old who's developmentally slow, a four-year-old, and let's say it's a four-year-old who's developmentally slow and the person the, the person is not a person, let's say it's a monkey, a four-year-old monkey who's developmentally slow. There's never been a time in the history of this world where that person could not buy a basket of stocks, hold the stocks, and eventually make money. Uh, the, the key idea is not to overthink it. Now, there are more nuances that come into play. Right. When you get to the point where you start to you know, select a little more carefully, perhaps based on what industries you want to be in or maybe get into industries outside of the stock market, that, that's fine as well. But literally that mo- that model does work. And so uh, one of the things that don't work typically is um, a lot of um, fast trading, like moving, moving your money around constantly. Um, that hasn't been proven to be a real effective strategy. Everybody will kind of tell you they can predict which stock is going to do well next week and all this. And the thing is, it's hard to prove them wrong. It's hard to prove that they're not um, good at what they do, because typically people don't actually collect the data and really look and see how did their trades actually work out. So I'm not telling you that not to do all those things. I mean, you can make it as fun as you want to. But the reality is that that long term buy and hold diversification strategy works out pretty well. Um, the other thing you might calibrate is your risk tolerance, right? So a person who uh, is, say, older, who doesn't want a lot of risk, might take on certain stocks that have uh, a low, low what they call low beta, 
Low beta is um, stocks that don't move a lot. Think of them like, uh, think of the, the economy like a big ocean of water. And a stock with a low beta that doesn't move much, it's like a big tanker that, that's like the biggest ship in the water. And so if the wave comes through, you're going to hardly feel the wave or a gigantic cruise ship. If, you have, if you've ever been on the big Royal Caribbean cruise ship or something, you notice you don't even feel the water. You literally, if, if somebody, you know, put a blindfold on you and then took it off and put you in the middle of the ship, you wouldn't even know you were on the ship because you don't feel it. Right. Whereas the little dinghies kind of go up and down, up and down. So uh, some of these, um, you know, penny stocks that, that people tell you to go chase after. There's a lot of volatility there, a lot of risk there. Um, you know, things like Shiba Inu coin, a lot of risk there, a lot of volatility there. And that speaks to um, people's excitement, people's appetite for risk taking and gambling. That's kind of become uh, this kind of emerged through time. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. Um, but I just want you to make sure you know that, that that gambling is not the same as investing. Just keep that in mind. OK. And um, and by the way, so some of you were asking about uh, the, the Forex class and the Forex master lecture that we're doing this week. Uh, if you go to B1Forex.com, uh, B in the number one Forex.com, that's where you can go take a look. Use the code word Dr. Boyce and you can get 20 percent off. Um, the specials over the 48 percent off special ended at midnight, but you can still get 20 percent off if you use the code word Dr. Boyce. And it's B1B in the number one Forex. And, uh, and then also one of you are asking about the uh, education program or how to get access, all access to the Black Business School. If you want to take a look at that, go to um, allblackeducation.com. We have this package where you can get just sort of everything for your whole family uh, and lifetime membership, all that stuff. So feel free to go to allblackeducation.com. All right. So let's see. Francis says, I've been following your investment advice with great success. Any advice in paying off debts? Um yeah, well, you know, it, I, I was in Atlanta um, not too long ago. You know, we were buying um, some real estate there. And uh, we're, we, ha- we actually have a black business school office in the Black House uh, down in South Atlanta now. It's, uh, so we are, we are officially, we, we officially planted our flag in Atlanta. And we actually uh, are about to sign some, uh, on some property in Atlanta. Because Atlanta is a place I want to make. I want to develop some infrastructure there in terms of filmmaking as well as um, uh, some other things I want to do. And uh, when I was there in Atlanta, I went to breakfast at this uh, great restaurant. I wish I could remember the name of it because it was a black owned business and I should be saying the name, but I can't remember the name. So I won't say it. But um, I went to breakfast there and uh, and I was um, I was with Jay Morrison, and his wife, Ernestine, who are very good people, very smart people. And I and a guy came up, a security guard came up and he asked me. Um, he was a big bulky guy with a beard. And I, 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 I you know, he walked up. He's you know, I was like, oh, is, is there a problem, officer? Is everything OK? And he said, yeah, Dr. Boyce, actually, I want to ask you a question. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, what's going on, man? How can I help you? And he said, um, I have, uh, uh, I want to invest, but I have credit card debt. Should I pay off my credit card debt first or should I go ahead and start investing? And I said, and so here's what I asked him. I said, um, how much interest are you paying in the credit card debt? He said, uh, 29%. I said, boom, there's your answer right there. Because if you invest in the stock market, you might make a profit. You might lose money. Right. You might make 10 percent one year, maybe 20 percent, maybe even 40 percent. Or you might lose 20 percent. I said, but if you pay off the credit card debt, then you're guaranteed to make 29 percent because you're guaranteeing that you're not going to be paying the 29 percent out that you're paying to keep that credit card. So I would make credit card debt my number one priority because that's the the best kind of investment there is. It's guaranteed. You're guaranteed to get 29 percent. A penny saved is a penny earned. So if I'm saving 29 percent, that's the same as earning 29 percent. Now, I said one thing you want to keep in mind, though, is that the the main thing more important than uh, the growth or uh, interest growth of your assets or the inflation you're paying on your assets is liquidity. Liquidity is important. I, I would I, I, I think it's, it even makes sense to pay a high interest rate to maintain liquidity. Right. So I said, um, 
what you don't want to do in my view is is use all your extra cash for the credit card you probably want to hold some of that money back maybe keep it in some liquid assets keep it in you know your stock portfolio where you can sell your stock in case you run into a tough situation because the biggest thing i've noticed for most people most of us is that the big threat is uh, some financial emergency coming along that just kind of rocks the whole boat, rock, rocks your whole financial boat. Uh, and so, you know, it, and in fact, actually, I think that um, I'm actually doing a podcast with, uh, this is another reason why I, I'm, I'm happy to get a place in Atlanta is um, I'm, I'm actually going to do a podcast with this platform called Push Black. And there's some really great uh, black folks down there and I really love them and I really wanted to work with them. So I'm really happy about that. And, uh, and actually on today's episode, uh, we were actually going to talk about things like emergency funds. And one of the things I noticed uh, in, in studying this is that I think they said most Americans, I want to say 60% of all Americans don't have $1,200 available in cases of financial emergency. Now, here's the other part of that um, terrible statistic. <laughs> not, not, not to make fun of you if you're in that category. I'm not making fun of you at all. I'm just, saying, I'm just telling you what it is. The other side of that is that the average financial emergency is not $1,200. The average financial emergency is something like $3,500, right? And so um, so I told him, I said, you know, yeah, go attack that credit card debt first. Invest a little bit in the stock market if you want, um, but stay liquid. You got to stay liquid and you got to stay mobile because if worse comes to worse, like if the house is burning down, even if you need, even if you have to go deeper in debt temporarily, that's okay. That's what the U.S. government did. When the U.S. government's economy crashed, that was the equivalent of a financial emergency, right? And what did they do? Well, they went to the company credit card. Now, this past year, the U.S. government spent twice as much as it brought in in income. And if they were more disciplined, then that would not be a problem. If they were smart, if they were disciplined, if they had vision, then they would say, "Okay, you know, we uh, we we borrowed, we, we we spent six trillion. We borrowed, we we only uh, brought in three trillion. But in the next ten years, we're going to chop down some expenses so and tax the rich so we can make up this gap." The problem for the U.S. government is that they don't make up the gap. They max up the credit card and then they just keep raising the debt ceiling. So they max out the credit card they have and they just get a bigger credit card. That's not a healthy long term financial uh, solution because obviously you can't have an infinite supply of money. So in real life, though, what you would do is you might max out the credit card uh, temporarily because you need to to get through that temporary situation, but you make sure the temporary temporary situation is temporary. You make a long-term plan for some sort of revenue generation and or the cutting of expenses that will allow you to rebalance the boat, right? And remember this too, when you're out of whack with your budget, you don't always have to cut costs, right? Always, you know, we always talk about cutting costs, cutting costs, cutting costs. I hated that. I, I, it drove me crazy. Even back when I worked at Syracuse, I was like, I don't want to cut things out of my budget. I just want to figure out how to make more money. If you figure out how to make more money, then uh, the things that used to be expensive now become cheap. Uh, the things that used to be impossible now become possible. And so uh, so I want you to think about this, not just in terms of your life and the answering the question for um, uh, for that particular brother that, I, that I've met in Atlanta. I want you to think about your children because you right now, I, I keep bringing up your damn kids and, and your nieces and nephews and grandkids and all that, because you've got all the power. Like you can literally put your child in a situation where they'll never have that problem ever. A $3,500 expense will not cripple them, right? But you've got to start now. The number one asset you can have as an investor is not money. It is time. And you've got all the time in the world because it's a long time between now and the year 2050. So when I look at my 11-year-old, who is, is, ain't thinking about money really because she's 11, right? Um, I'm picturing her as a 30-year-old. I'm picturing her in the year 2041. So I've got 20 years 
to invest consistently so that my little girl will never have the financial problems that will turn her into an economic slave. So, so just think about this. Um, make some moves now. Uh, think long-term and short-term. And you can solve all these problems. All these financial problems are not unsolvable. They're very easily solvable at almost any income level. You just have to have some knowledge and some vision in order to do it. Okay. All right, guys. Um, so uh, let me answer the last question and then um, I'm going to bounce out. And yeah, and as far as the Facebook thing goes, uh, just to finish that conversation, uh, you know, I, I think that Facebook, if you want to know my recommendation on Facebook stock, I'm not going to give a recommendation. I will tell you what I'm doing. I bought some Facebook stock. I bought some stock, Facebook stock, because what they've sort of broken down in terms of analyzing this company is that even if Facebook gets broken apart, it's still an incredibly valuable company. They they have they have pockets of Facebook that haven't even been monetized yet. Entire universes that will spawn out of Facebook's investments now. Um everything from uh virtual reality to uh you know things they can do with WhatsApp and Instagram. Uh, and whether people like it or not, the world needs Facebook. Like you just do. You need Facebook and WhatsApp. Not you. Maybe you don't need it. But um, in third world countries, there are some people that uh, when Facebook crashed and WhatsApp went down, they couldn't even call their relatives because there was no no other way to do that. So um, I, I will just say that Facebook is going to um, continue to make money hand over fist. They're going to surprise you with their earnings announcements. Um, I think Zuckerberg should resign. Don't be surprised if he walks away from that job. I, I'd be stunned if he holds that job two years from today. But that's just my prediction. All right, last uh, question I'll answer. Uh, Kristen says, have you talked about alkaline water? Shaq bought uh, shares on, and do you think it's something uh, worth, if so? I, I don't know any alkaline water companies. Um, I don't know anything about Shaq buying into an alkaline water company. Uh, if you want me to research it in, in more detail, um, just uh, log in at theblackstockmarketprogram.com. And I will look it up and I will uh, sort of give you more detailed information about Shaquille O'Neal's investments. Um, you know, um, I, I, you know, Shaq is doing a good job, you know, as an investor. Um, let me see here. I'm looking here on Business Wire. Uh, it looks like he bought into an alkaline water company uh, in some new partnership. And the company is called the Alkaline Water Company. <laughs> um, he's an equity partner and member of the company's board of advisors. He will also serve as a marquee brand ambassador. For al- oh, it's Alkaline 88. Um, let's see here. Um, yeah, yeah. So Alkaline Water is great. Um, I've got Alkaline Water actually right next to me. Um, let's see, I mean, this is Alkaline Water. Um, I still don't know. I have to ask Queen of Fu at the All Black National Convention exactly why Alkaline Water is helpful to me uh, as opposed to regular water. I'm sure I can probably Google it too. Um, but uh, Alkaline Water, is. It, it seems like it's a decent investment. Is it something that's going to necessarily just you know shake the roof off i i don't know it would depend on what the value of the company is that you're asking about i don't even know if this company shack is representing is um is necessarily one of the best companies in this industry or not but one benefit of bringing on shaquille o'neal as an investor is that shack brings you something more than more valuable than money he brings you celebrity right and uh so a lot of companies and this is a great avenue where uh, probably a trillion dollars in black wealth will be built this way is when you're seeing all these uh, rappers and actors and former athletes investing in these companies um, and becoming brand ambassadors, that makes perfect sense because now Shaq can go on his Instagram, which probably has 10 million people on it, and say, hey, I just invested in this alkaline water company. Take a look, right? So that's a lot of um, low-cost advertising. Um, a, a, A celebrity that has, you know, 10 million Instagram followers 
literally has millions of dollars in their pocket. There's no reason that a person, in fact, even a person with 100,000 Instagram followers or even 10,000, I know people that have 10,000 Instagram followers that are actually able to make good money uh, from those platforms. So platforms um, uh, can be and should be profitable, which is why it's important to take that time to study uh, methods of monetization. And you're starting to really see that a lot. Um, you know, like when I go to Atlanta and I see a lot of really great guys that I, that I know, like um, the Wall Street Trapper and uh, what's the other uh, brother's name? I forgot, Der- Derek Grace and some others that that are doing their own thing in an interesting way. Ben X uh, is I've met Ben X in the airport. He's buying 400 acres of land down in Atlanta. Like these these moves are actually um, massive moves that are going to be hugely impactful a generation from now. Like these are multi-million, multi-billion dollar moves. It just takes time for it to evolve. And why do I see it that way? Well, the reason I see it this way is because one thing I spent a lot of time doing, and uh, and I'll do this a little bit more out loud, is I study the big companies that exist in America now, right? I study that billion-dollar company, and I say, how did it begin? And you'd be amazed at how many companies you know of, everything from Coca-Cola to Walmart to um, UPS, et cetera, uh, that are now worth hundreds of billions of dollars, literally started off worth less than many of the companies you, you guys are building right now. Right. So so you're building that future. You're building something that is that that's probably going to grow into something pretty amazing, and extraordinary. And I encourage you to keep building. But remember, nothing happens if you don't plant the seed. So make sure you keep planting those seeds and don't worry about how your company stacks up against a billion dollar corporation. You know, remember, the Chicago Bears were purchased a couple of generations ago for 500 bucks. Now the Bears are worth three point two billion dollars or something crazy like that. So uh, just have that vision. Give yourself time. Be patient with yourself and don't think it's going to happen overnight because it's not. Just keep keep planting the seed. OK. All right, guys. Well, that's it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take off and um, and uh, and I'll, I'll be around. And, uh, and next week in class, 11 a.m. Eastern is when we meet. Uh, log in at the black stock market program dot com. This is where you can get the access to the Zoom codes and everything else. You can also leave your question for me. And actually, later on this afternoon, I will give you a list of a bunch of stocks that I really like. In addition to the ones I mentioned earlier in class, and uh, you can feel free to take a look. And these are companies that um, that I'm willing to invest in. So some of them I'm going to invest in. Some of them uh, I, I these are companies that I would invest in, right? If I had extra cash laying around. But right now, I'm actually making that real estate move. So what happens then, just to give you real life, is <clears throat> when you make a certain move in a certain area, like I'm making the move in real estate, um, you move money from one area to the other. And that goes back to actually financial theory, where they basically say that capital should be put to its best available use. So sometimes, uh, so when people ask me, well, when's a good time to sell my stock? Uh, my first question is, why are you selling it, right? Uh, you know, you don't sell stock just so you can go buy a new iPhone. You don't sell stock so you can go buy uh, some Jordans. You sell stock because you found a better investment. Uh, maybe you have a liquidity need. Maybe you really need the cash, um, you know, or maybe you you found you just want to diversify, right? That's why millionaires and billionaires sell their stock. They sell their stock for a reason. They don't just sell it so they can go out and buy some Gucci bags and 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 go to dinner at Popeye's Chicken, right? So so just keep that in mind. So elevate your thinking on that. Make sure you don't get caught in in that other space. Uh, because the stock market is not a casino. It's a place where you build long-term family wealth. All right. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Please have a good day. Um, And uh, I will see you all next week. Take care. Bye-bye.